excited to be with you here today. I want to thank uh, both Frank and Lisa for a great job that they did. Um, past couple of weeks I had surgery, so it's really good uh, to be back here today. I want to start by giving you the greatest piece of marriage advice I could ever possibly give you that I learned from a friend of mine for those of you who are husbands. A few summers ago, I went to my friend John's house. John and I have been friends for a couple decades now, and I was at his daughter's graduation party, and I was talking to him about how proud he was. Surely it was really difficult, all the things that he did through the years uh, to get his daughters off, and I talked a little bit about my daughters and how proud I am of them and how exhausting it was and that sort of thing, and he said, you know what you need to do? You need to do what I did when my first daughter went to, went to college. He said, I walked into the house and I told my wife for the next year, the next 365 days are gonna be the year of John. The year of John. I said, that's brilliant, how did that work? He said, let's say you wanna to go to a game because she, but she doesn't think it's a great idea. Doesn't matter, year of John. You want to go fishing? She has stuff she wants you to do around the house. Get the poles, year of John. Want to go out with the guys? Year of John. I said, but what if, and he cut me off, doesn't matter, year of John. I said, you're telling me that if you said, I'm going to go buy a new car, that, that she'd be cool with that. And he said, you're not listening to me, year of John. You've spent years doing things for other people, he told me. Don't you think you deserve a year where it's all about you. I looked at him. He knew I was a pastor. He knew that I've spoken years and years and years here about serving. I looked at him and said, yes, I do. Absolutely. I was fired up. I went home. I had my speech ready. I walked into the kitchen. I looked at Lisa and I said, this year is going to be the year of Brian. Now, if you're married here and you're sitting next to your wife, lean over and ask her what her response would be if you walked in and said that to her. Go ahead, do that. Well, Lisa started sharing all the things that she's done, yada, yada, yada. And then she said, here's the difference. Whenever you do laundry one time, you want me to stand up and clap like you came from behind in the Super Bowl, right? Right? Hold on. Brian, we all know what a stressful week you've had at work. How did you manage to do all that and still have fine time to still find time to do one load of laundry? Well, Jim, it was touch and go there for a while. Lights, darks, mediums, and towels. But first, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for, for making all of this possible. And Brian, people are starting to use the word hero. Uh, how do you respond to that? Well, listen, Jim, am I a hero? I understand why people would want to call me that. All I did is I saw a laundry basket that was full of my clothes and I stepped up to help, right? Actually, when I brought up the idea of the year of Brian, she literally didn't miss a beat. She said, dear, let's be honest, every year is the year of Brian, right? 
Well, I want to say two things to that first. Thanks a lot, John. Appreciate that. But second, there's more truth to this than we realize, right? Not just for me, but everyone in the room. We all want to make every year the year of John, the year of Brian, the year of Rachel, Emma, James, Robert, Susan, Karen, and Mary. Today's Mother's Day, and this is the day you typically talk about the importance of mothers and all that to say, of course, my mother, as the song it goes, my mother is lovely, I'm incredibly thankful for her, and I'm incredibly thankful for my wife and all of you uh, who have made such sacrifices over the years, but I want to do something a bit different today. I want to talk to you about what your mother and Jesus wants me to tell you. So moms, this is from you to them, and you let me know how I did, right? Here we go. 99.9% of our lives are lived in what we call the monotonous daily grind, right? This is our everyday life. Kind of boring. Just hum, dum, hum, 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 ho, right? Uh, that's because it's boring, but then we occasionally experience moments of incredible awesomeness, right? These uh, occasional mountaintop experiences of beauty, magic, and wonder, we want more of that. Every day, every year, the year of Jessica. We want that to be the case. And so there's this idea in our culture that this is what brings happiness. One moment of incredible awesomeness after another. That if you want to be happy, you need to follow your bliss. And you need to constantly plan that next thing. And so what we end up doing is constantly planning, looking forward to that next thing that is going to do it for us, right? Like we all do this. This is, nor this is human behavior. We want that next peak experience, as Abraham Maslow would call it. Now there's absolutely nothing wrong with a moment of awesomeness. We're so incredibly happy when they come, but planning and banking on it, trying to orchestrate one happy moment of awesomeness after another does not make you genuinely happy. The question, the question actually is, well, what does make you happy? Here's what your mother and Jesus want you to know. Genuinely happy people force themselves to believe and to do Hard things. Now I want you to write down those two words, hard things, because motivational speakers and happiness experts have ruined the word happiness. Happiness experts have convinced us that happiness is a feeling of well-being that you can attain without any character transformation. If you want to be happy, all you need to do is engage in activities that stimulate the neurotransmitter in the brain, dopamine. Now, on one hand, dopamine is essential. Dopamine from one area of the brain helps us begin movements and speech. Without it, bad things happen like Parkinson's disease. But dopamine has another function. It will tell the brain that what you just experienced is awesome and you need to do more of it. Dopamine is the Kim Kardashian of the brain's neurotransmitters. It plays a major role in addiction and habit formation. And so here's the thing. Doing hard things that build character 
does not initially give us a dopamine hit. In fact, it does the exact opposite. You do something that's hard, your brain tells you, don't do that again. But it's the hard things that bring long-term happiness. And that is because, and listen to this, genuinely happy people force themselves to do things unhappy people do not. And the first thing they force themselves to do is to believe hard things. There's a brilliant man, Richard Feynman, who's a theoretical physicist, and one of the things he said really caught me one time. He said this. He said, the first principle is that you must not fool yourself, and you are the easiest person to fool. Genuinely happy people do not lie to themselves. They accept reality the way it is. Almost 3,000 years ago, the prophet Jeremiah said this, the heart is deceitful above all things. And so what the Bible says is there is a default switch in our soul that is set to self-deception. Let me repeat this. Human beings have a default switch in our soul that is automatically set to self-deception at birth. The Apostle Paul calls this the sarcos. That is the sinful nature. That's why we're told over and over again in the Bible, do not deceive yourselves. Every person that is born into the world quickly discovers two core truths. Number one, life is beautiful precious and fraught with staggering amounts of heartache. Most of it caused by our own choices. As Seinfeld joked one time, you want to know what it's like out there, kids? It's all gutters. It's not far from the truth. Second is lying to ourselves protects us from experiencing more pain. Let me give you an example of that. Years ago, I was a small groups pastor at a church in Clearwater, Florida. Southern culture. I, it was very different. Southern culture. Anybody here from the South? You moved up here and you're like, people are mean. They're, you're walking around all the time saying hello to everybody and everybody's wondering, why are you being so intrusive? Right? East Coast culture. Anyway, in this church... We had a lot of older people that had lost spouses. And so one of the first things I did is I said, let's do a group, just eight weeks, for people that are suffering from grief. So I hired a counselor who had lost someone herself. And so she and her husband said, I'll lead this group for eight weeks. And I reserved a room in the church called The Parlor. The parlor was like in the center of the church. It was this southern thing with, what are the, what's the Christian painter? Uh, the, 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 who's the, the Christian painter that all the cheesy paintings that all the Christians like? Uh, anyway, they're all, they're all over the walls and that sort of thing. Comfy couches. So I reserved through eight weeks. And this is the most coveted room in the entire building. Brought in Mary Brown to, to lead this. It, it literally filled up in one week. We immediately had a waiting list. But I called a... I, I led a, a Bible study on Tuesday morning, and a dear Southern lady uh, uh, was in there, and uh, I, I, I knew she lost her husband, and she was still grieving. So I called her up, and I said, hey, Mary, Mary, 
And she's Southern. And do you do this? When you talk to someone that's Southern, you start talking in a Southern accent. You know, hey, y'all, you tell your kinfolk that Brian and Lisa say, hey, okay, all right. You get in the car. Lisa's like, what is that? I'm like, I don't know. I just do it. I just do it, right? Like I called her up, Mary, how are you? Oh, I'm fine, Pastor Brian, how are you? I said, Mary, did you hear that we're having a support group for people who have lost loved ones? Oh, yeah, Brian, I, I heard about it. Mary, I, I, it, it, the, the group's full, but I'd like to get you into it. Would you like to go, Mary? No. I'm like, why? She said, I'm not going to go into a room full of strangers and talk about my man. And then she hung up the phone on me. I call her back. I said, Mary, this is Brian again. I was wondering enough. And then she hung up the phone. I'm like, you old bitty. So I called her back. <laughs> crazy old woman. Right? I, called her, so I called her up. I said, Mary. And she clicked and she slammed the phone again. Right? And then I tried one more time. And before I could even say anything, she just picked it up and put it down again. Right? <laughs> Funniest thing. Saw her at church on Sunday. I saw her from a distance. She smiled. We went up to each other. She said, I'm so sorry, Brian. I can't. I just can't bring myself to do it. I hope you understand. I said, Mary, you know I love you, right? And she said, yes. I said, Mary, I think he's been gone for 15 years, right? She said, yeah. I said, you know that whole stages of grief thing, right? The first, the first stage is denial. I'm gonna guess you haven't touched your house. Your house looks exactly the way it did the day he died. She said, yeah. And she started crying. She said, I'm just afraid if I let him go, I'll forget what his voice sounded like. And there are some of you here that have lost loved ones. And you keep a, a recording on your phone. There's a reason Brennan Manning said, that which is denied cannot be healed. Two weeks later, the group started with a room full of people, and they met for eight weeks. And they grew so close during that time that they refused to disband. At the end of eight weeks, I told Mary, Mary, I need the room back. She said, these people will not give the room back. They were like a militia that took over the parlor with guns in the middle of the church. They're not given the room back. Every time I would walk by this room, they're howling with laughter. There were two of them that met in the group and they got married. They became best friends. But every time I walked by that room, I thought of my friend Mary that missed out. You know, this is not just about forcing ourselves to believe things that have happened to us or happened to us. It's also about forcing ourselves to believe the truth about what we've done and about who we've become. Decisions we've made, people we've hurt, addictions we have, sins we've coddled, character flaws that we have let go unchallenged, situations or things we have allowed ourselves to be a part of that we know are wrong or hurtful to ourselves and others. One of the scariest verses in the Bible, we, we actually looked at this verse a number of weeks ago, Revelation 3.17. Jesus said, you say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. He's like, you're saying I'm happy, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You've deceived yourself. Now, right now, we're all thinking of that person that's deceived themselves. Maybe an alcoholic that they refuse to admit, right? 
But what is way more likely is that in this room, and for those of you who are watching online, is that we look into the mirror and we tell ourselves lies, like our kids are doing great. Like, no, for some people, your kids are not doing great. You're lying to yourself and telling yourself that this problem's gonna go away or it's just a phase. Or, we have a great marriage. Nah. For some, you're just choosing to believe a lie. My weight is fine. Our finances aren't that bad. I'm a Christian. I am, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Kierkegaard said there are two ways to be fooled. One is to believe what isn't true. The other is to refuse to believe what is true. And you know why we just find it difficult to believe the truth about ourselves is because no one wants to open up a suck fest of pain. Look at this guy right here. We're like this guy, right? <laughs> Who's excited about believing hard things about ourselves? I am. I am. Can't you tell? There's a huge battle that's been raging in the Jones household for three decades now. Maybe you can help me solve it. It is over the thermostat. Raise your hands if you believe you sleep better at night by keeping the thermostat slightly cooler. Raise your hand. Look around the room. These are the Satanists that go to our church. What's wrong with you people? The Gospel of John clearly says nothing below 68. Lisa likes to keep it at 65. She says everyone will tell you you sleep better if you keep it cooler at night, Brian. And I'm like... Who are these unnamed masses of people you keep referring to? Everyone is code for people who post cat videos on Facebook and love watching The Bachelorette, okay? The fact is it's much easier to argue who over who gets control of the thermostat in a relationship than it is to look in the mirror and force myself to admit that in 33 years of our relationship, I have been the one that has gotten my way more than anyone. And that's painful to admit, and even more painful to change. I want you to look at these three pictures. The first is, every person in this room has to decide which path in life you're gonna choose. Now this is incredibly important, because your mom wants me to tell you this, and Jesus especially wants me to tell you this. And so whether you're three, or whether you're 13, or whether you're 33, and you haven't learned it, or you're 63, and you still haven't learned it, you have two paths you can take. The first one is you can lie to yourself, or the second one is you can force yourself to believe the truth about yourself. Only two paths. You either lie to yourself or you tell yourself the truth. Now, the path is this path is presented to us right when we're little kids. You might remember when it happened with you. We're presented with two choices when we're kids. And the fact is, everyone refuses to believe hard things about themselves when they're kids, right? That's what kids do. I didn't want to hit them, but my invisible friend told me to do it, right? Self-deception is a coping mechanism we use to insulate ourselves from taking responsibility for our actions and it's cute when you did it when you were three. It's not cute when you do it when you're 43. And in your marriage, you're a jerk. 
Every kid has to learn what all genuinely happy adults understand, and that is happiness is always found on the other side of pain. And that brings us to the second picture. The problem is there are immediate consequences to whatever you decide. If you choose to lie yourself, you're going to avoid pain and the consequences. But if you force yourself to believe the truth, there's more pain temporarily. And so what every unhappy person does is they take the easy route and they lie to themselves. I am going to beat this addiction on my own. I'm really not a jerk in my marriage. I am not really in that much debt. I don't have that big of a character flaw to address. At the end of Tolstoy's story, The Death of Ivan Ilyich, one of my favorite stories by Tolstoy, the main character, Ivan, was take, had taken the easy route his entire life. And now he lies in bed, in his deathbed, in excruciating pain. And when the doctor arrives, Ilyich refuses any pain medication, and he throws the doctor out of the room, and he wants to experience his final moments with clarity. And then Tolstoy says this, it was true as the doctor said that Ivan Ilyich's physical sufferings were terrible, but worse than the physical sufferings were his mental sufferings, which were his chief torture. His mental sufferings were due to the fact that that night, the question suddenly occurred to him, what if my whole life has really been wrong? And then Tolstoy adds, it occurred to him that what had appeared perfectly impossible before, namely that he had not spent his life as he should have done, might, after all, be true. Here he was on his deathbed with clarity for the first time in his life. Here he thought he was happy, pursuing one moment of awesomeness after another coming to find out that he actually was wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And is that going to be you or me? Because that's what a happy person looks like on their deathbed. And trust me, as a pastor, I've been to a lot of them. Here's how a genuinely happy person approaches life. Here's the third picture. One option is that you can lie to yourself, avoid pain, be happy, but you're skimming the surface of life. But someone that is genuinely happy, and if you don't get this, and if you're in middle school, you need to get this now. You can force yourself to believe the truth. You will experience more pain as a result, temporarily. But genuine happiness will occur because, number one, you dealt with it. You were honest, and you dealt with it. And then your life actually improved. People who are genuinely happy at the end of their lives did not play the child's game of chasing dopamine hits, following their bliss, and turn every year into the year of Richard. They know that happiness is always found on the other side of pain. That's why my, my friend John jokes with me all the time. He's three months away from retirement. And he said, wait till you see retirement, John. 
It's going to be all about serving other people. He texted me a picture right after first service of the front yard of a co-worker of his who was in the hospital because of cancer. He went and planted rose bushes on the front of his property. People who are happy know that happiness is always found on the other side of pain. And that's what your mom and Jesus wanted me to tell you today. There's nothing worse than a child that's three or 13 or 33 or 63 that doesn't take responsibility for their lives. Choose to do hard things. Let's pray. We thank you so much, Jesus, that you're both a forgiver, but you're one that pushes us to forgive when we've been wrong, to be kind when we've experienced anger, to go the extra mile when we've asked to go on, to serve when we want to lead, and to die when we want to live. Help us to choose the difficult things in front of us because we know on the other side of that, that's where you'll be waiting. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.